everyone, thanks for tuning in to Healthcare Junkies today. We're going to be discussing controversial issues in healthcare, but first I want to briefly introduce my co-hosts. By the way, we'll be using our real first names, but for privacy's sake, we'll be using celebrities' last names. So here's Molly Ringwald. Hi, Julia, Roberts. Wow, I can't believe we're all seniors at Rocktown University now. Time flies. I plan on graduating in the spring, then taking a gap year to get some more experience before applying to naturopathic medical school. Awesome. Good luck with that. Now we have Madison Beer. Hi, everyone. I'm actually doing something very similar to Molly. After this year, I plan on taking a gap year, then going to physical therapy school, hopefully, but we'll see how everything works out. Awesome, Maddie. I hope that works out well. And last but not least, we have Marissa Tomei. Hi everyone, I hope all is well. And listen, I'm honestly not too sure about my plans after college. I had a little hiccup, but my goal is to become a nurse, but we'll see where life ends up taking me. Awesome, thanks for sharing. Well, for our listeners, I do wanna first put it out there that they, these are controversial issues that we're about to discuss for a reason. So everyone's entitled to his or her own opinion and we're here to respect that. However, beneficence or doing no harm to the patient is the most important job of a healthcare professional. When confronted with a challenging issue, it is critical that we keep our personal opinions aside and come to a decision using unbiased ethical reasoning. Today, we're going to put ourselves in the shoes of healthcare professionals who work hard to deliver care that is in the best interest of the patient, family, and loved ones, while also respecting the law and their organization. Basically, we're going to act like we're part of a healthcare ethics committee. Could someone give us a brief description of healthcare ethics committees and how they work in hospitals? Sure, I'll start with giving their top three roles. So the first is to provide clinical ethics consultation. Next, they develop and or revise policies pertaining to clinical ethics and hospital policy, like advanced directives, withholding and withdrawing life-sustaining treatments, informed consent, and organ procurement. So basically everything we'll be touching on today. And lastly, they facilitate education about topical issues and clinical ethics. Yeah, so as you can see, these committees are very important. These committees are seen in about a total of 81% of hospitals in the US. They have greater prevalence though in hospitals over 400 beds. 6% of these hospitals tend to have more than one committee. And the majority of the makeup of these committees are females. The main goals include, but not limited to, educating staff on how to deal with ethical issues, increase patient satisfaction, provide moral support to staff, and overall, they try to prevent ethical issues from happening in the future. Hospitals usually choose to have an ethics committee or have a single lone ethics consultant. This would be one person, an expert in ethics, who would gather the information and decide on the best course of action without the input and debate from others. It is debatable which works best to handle controversial issues that arise in a hospital. Thanks for giving us that little bit of overview before we head into our discussion on controversial situations and how we can best handle them. So first, when it comes to HIV, disclosure of status is something that's extremely controversial for many reasons. Do you think that healthcare providers should have the ability to disclose a patient's HIV status to past, current, and future sexual partners of the individual? 
Okay, thank you for asking this question, Julia. This is a pretty tricky question um, when you actually think of it ethically. So ideas such as beneficence and autonomy must be considered. So regarding beneficence, a healthcare provider should have the best interest of their patients in mind. Therefore, yes, a healthcare provider should have the ability to disclose HIV status of past, current, and future sexual partners of their patient. Though also when talking about autonomy, it's a bit different and that's where it gets kind of tricky. So any healthcare provider should follow all guidelines of confidentiality in every aspect of their patients. So if you're looking at it from this point of view, then I would say no, a healthcare provider should not be allowed to disclose such information. Yeah, those are some good points, Maddie. What about disclosing to employers? Is that something that we think a company should have the right to do? And what do you think are like the pros and cons about them having the ability to do this? Okay, so regarding employers and the company, this scenario is best represented by a case called Doe versus Medlantic. So this um, is when the HIV status of an employee was leaked in their workspace. This person was ridiculed and it could be seen as an unfair to that person because their personal medical information wasn't protected as stated in HIPAA. Um, another scenario of this was seen in Cooper versus FAA where a pilot lost his job because he did not report his HIV status. Um, so with all this being said, a possible pro of disclosing this information to employers of a certain company you're working for is to have total transparency with that company. So you might not get removed from the position immediately without any controversy in cases such as Cooper versus FAA, though the cons do include violating your protected rights under HIPAA um, and your confidentiality. So HIV status is personal medical information which is protected under your medical records for only you and your physician to have access to. Yeah, those are definitely some good thoughts. Also, according to Kantian theory, if we know that someone is HIV positive, then we really should disclose if someone might be at risk because it would be our moral obligation. But on the other hand, as a healthcare professional, we're also obligated to keep our patient's information protected and confidential, like you said. Deontology or Kantian theory doesn't have the capability to tell us what moral obligations trump others though which is what makes this decision super tough. There's so much to think about when it comes to HIPAA violations, moral theories, and HIV status. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some genetic testing and what we think about that. So genetic testing is a super complex topic because there are so many realms of life that the testing scenario can affect. It can be quite controversial in the workplace and with employers, but also with children who are in utero, whose parents fear genetic variations and all overall just parent patients' personal autonomy. Whether they wish to know what diseases or health risks have the potential to affect them later in life. Marissa, what's your immediate reaction about genetic testing? Do you think that society could have ethical advantages to genetic testing or does it cause more of a negative impact overall? So I think that genetic testing is a very broad spectrum of like different feelings. And for some people, they appreciate this development of science, but for others, they would rather live freely without having that work on their shoulders. 
And um, I personally think that genetic testing is a great development within medicine. And I think that it could really help a large percentage of people. For example, like Angelina Jolie, she's a famous actress and we all know about her story with breast cancer. So she went through some genetic testing because she had a family history of breast cancer and ovarian cancer. And she wanted to see if she carried the BRCA1 gene and she did. She took this information and ended up getting a double mastectomy to decrease her odds of getting breast cancer in the future. So although I do feel like when it comes down to it, it is a very hard decision to make whether you would want to know or not to know if you were going to develop a certain gene that could possibly be fatal or detrimental to your life. But I think that society can have both ethical advantages and a negative impact of genetic testing. What comes to my mind is autonomy, which means like self-rule or being able to make those decisions for what you think is best for yourself. And I think the ethical advantages are being able to have the choice to get the sort of testing done, to have that knowledge about if you have a certain gene. All that said, I think the negative impact could be that when genetic testing is done, the information is often sent to some sort of analysis facility for further research, depending on the disease. And not everyone might not be okay with their personal information being further dispersed in these kind of facilities. And this negative impact is usually more so on newborns, but again, that's just because they don't have the ability to make this choice for themselves. But Julia, I do have a question for you. Would you want to have genetic testing done to know if you were going to develop a certain gene? <clears throat> so genetic testing for genes is actually something that I've been thinking about a lot lately in my own personal life. Almost two years ago, my dad was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And while I'm mostly focused on his progression and care, it's tough not to think about myself and what would lie ahead in my own future. I've done some research about genetic testing, and I honestly don't think that it's something that I would want to do, at least not anytime soon. I don't want to live with the fear of knowing that I might forget my husband's name or who my own children are one day. I've come to the conclusion that I would rather wait and let life happen as naturally as possible, of course, while doing what I can to stay healthy and make choices that won't negatively affect my brain health down the line. Um, but the fact that genetic testing is available to tell me that I'm extremely likely or unlikely to develop Alzheimer's is scary. And it puts me and I'm sure many other people who might be in a similar situation in a really tough position. But I do, wonder like, do I want to know or do I not? Another thing we could think about is, is it even ethical to have the option to do this genetic testing? Is it really something that should be readily available to the public? And what are the repercussions of this on society as a whole? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. But I am very, like, I'm so sorry to hear that, Julia. I could not imagine how tough that can be on you and your family. But I think it could differ by disease because with the BRCA1 gene, you're able to have that option to take preventative measures to decrease your odds of getting breast or ovarian cancer. But with something like Alzheimer's, there's not really much you can do and that's super tough. And I think that I would make the same choice as you, but it is really scary to always have that in the back of your mind. But just know you always have the support of your friends and family by your side. Thanks, Marissa. I think now we're gonna start talking about um, the evolution of humans and sterilization. So we'll have Molly and Maddie share about that. Hey, 
So I wanted to start with a little bit of history. So not so long ago, actually, just in the early 1900s, there was a big movement in the scientific world where there was evidence to suggest missing links in evolutionary history. Africans and indigenous people, such as the Pygmy tribe, were believed to be biologically inferior to Caucasians. This is something known as eugenics and was very prevalent and even led to Hitler's massive genocide. Finally, as seniors in college, I've learned a lot more about this in a film that we watched for our ethics class, Human Zoos. I had never heard of any of this before. Had you, Marissa? No, I haven't until our class, but it really rubs me the wrong way knowing that this happened in our history and I didn't know anything about it until my senior year of college. But can you believe what happened to Otabanga? No, that was so sad. Yeah, so like to give our listeners a brief synopsis on what happened with him, Otabanga was a man from Congo, which is a country in Central Africa, where he was kidnapped and then taken to the U.S. and shown off as an exhibit like an animal. At first, he was being featured in an exhibit in 1904 at the World's Fair in St. Louis, Missouri. He was exhibited with monkeys, which is like honestly just truly appalling to me. Then in 1906, he was displayed like an animal, sharing a cage with monkeys at the Bronx Zoo in New York. When this came as a shock to some and sparked controversy, the Bronx Zoo owner tried to lie and say he was a hired employee to clean the cage and take care of the monkeys. Yeah, it's just crazy to me that this happened in history. We were never taught about it in schools, and it was covered up so well by the Bronx Zoo. They just act like it never even happened. The Tuskegee syphilis experiment is another example of how scientists conducted experiments on African-Americans. The scientists here actually injected them with syphilis and purposely did not treat them so they could watch and see how the disease progressed. Luckily, we live in a world today where eugenics is scientifically proven to be illegitimate. So why do we still cover up the past and not teach it to young scientists and med students today? What we know is that the highly esteemed Charles Darwin actually laid the groundwork for this racist belief in his natural selection and survival of the fittest theories. We praise his achievements in school because our teachers leave out his racist, white supremacist underlying framework. Yeah, I have just been so shocked learning all of this information in class. And like you said, I'm so surprised that I had never learned about it before being a senior in college. Um, do you think that Darwin's racist ideas should be addressed in schools when teaching about his evolution theories? I think it should absolutely be addressed. Maybe wait until the kids are a little bit mature enough to take it, but I really appreciated watching the informative documentary. Again, it's called Human Zoos, America's Forgotten History of Scientific Racism. And you can find it on YouTube posted by Discovery Science if you're interested in watching it. Maybe the film should be put on a platform that will reach more people such as Netflix or Amazon Prime. In the future, I believe it's important for us to know about racial injustices that have happened in the past so that we can confront them and make sure they don't happen again. It's important that young professionals within the healthcare field, as well as the rest of society, grow up knowing how to be fair humans who don't fall victim to accidental discrimination one day. Yeah, Molly, I totally agree with you on that. Um, I also think that Darwin's racist ideas to definitely be addressed in schools when teaching about its evolution theories. But, and I think that it would work in our country's benefit to like educate these children on the horrors of racial injustices. If children are educated on this topic at a young age, 
obviously when they're like a little more mature to understand, but I think it could prevent any further racial injustices in the future, which will eventually build a better and equal America for everyone. I also think it is really important for young professionals and for young professionals, these ethical issues come in play very often and they need to be able to make the right decision when these encounters happen. And when they're educated on these things, then it's, they're more likely to benefit them for the future as these professionals. Exactly. So I'm going to bring in Madison to talk with me about the idea of sterilization, which kind of stems off of eugenics. But first, I wanted to start with mentioning that I live in an apartment complex in Stanton with some crazy history. It actually used to be a part of a mental hospital in the early 1900s also, then a prison, then abandoned for a while until it was just converted into loft apartments here recently. Anyways, I got really interested one night shortly after I moved in, and I wanted to find out more about the history. I was in for a huge surprise, to say the least. Apparently, this issue of eugenics and sterilization was really prevalent and practiced in mental hospitals around America. The man that founded Western State, where I live, Desjarnet, was a very influential person in this arena. I'm going to read a piece of his most famous poem so that we can gain a better idea of how him and others like him thought. Defectives will breed defectives and the insane breed insane. Oh, why do you allow these people to breed back to the monkey's nest, to increase our country's burdens when we should only breed the best. Oh, you wise men take up the burden and make this you loudest creed, sterilize the misfits promptly, all not fit to breed. Then our race will be strengthened and bettered and our men and our women be blessed, not apish, repulsive and foolish, for the best will breed the best. Ugh. It actually makes me shiver after reading that. You can bet I didn't sleep well for a bit after finding out this knowledge. The sad thing is that what made these people misfits actually encompassed a lot of people, far more today than would be hospitalized for mental illness. Anxiety and sadness was misunderstood. Homosexuality was misunderstood. Even postpartum depression disorder wasn't treatable. Madison, what are your initial thoughts about the poem? Okay, so this poem disturbs me so much. The first time that I saw it, I just had to read it a few times because I couldn't believe that some people had this view. And then especially hearing that you live in this apartment building, I would freak out, but I'm so glad that you found this information. (laughs) Um, But going back to the poem, just the thought of so many people believing in and agreeing with these ideals is so terrifying to me, especially a person like who has anxiety and depression, because I couldn't even imagine like living in that time frame. Mm-hmm. And during the time of forced sterilization, so many innocent people were stripped of their rights and got such natural things taken away from them. And I just still can't believe that individuals with characteristics seen as unfit by other people had to go through something so awful. Um, And I just wanted to point out some statistics to our listeners just to show how prevalent this issue was in our country not too long ago. And so a total of 32 states had sterilization boards and California's like so-called sterilization, I mean, sorry, sexualization acts um, ended in over 20,000 men and women getting the reproductive rights taken away from them. 
which is just so disturbing to me. And acts like these were also seen all over the country. Um, and actually, even in Puerto Rico, one third of all of their women were sterilized without their knowledge. Um, the Indian Health Service also had similar numbers uh, seen in Puerto Rico, being one in every four Native American women were sterilized without their consent. Um, and even close to us um, in North Carolina, thousands of black women underwent forced sterilization. These numbers are just so disgusting to me, um, especially considering I only mentioned a few and there are so many others we could talk about. Um, so many people suffered through these years and their autonomy was never even considered. The best case regarding forced sterilization is I wanted to talk, talk about Buck versus Bell. And so Carrie Buck was an 18 year old, though the institution she resided at claimed that she had the mental capacity of a nine year old. So some saw her as a genetic threat to society, which is insane to me. In 1923, her adoptive mother's nephew actually raped and took advantage of her. But when this was taken to court, they found that this did not violate the constitution solely based on she was not able to basically make decisions for her own body and for herself. So people in this court case must have had the same mindset as the author of this poem. Um, seeing as though many people who have mental or physical disabilities should not be able to be a part of society. I know there is a lot to discuss on this topic, but I just can't get over how common this was in our country not so long ago. Um, I'm just so happy that things have changed and laws are different. But Molly, what are your thoughts on forced sterilization and what I said? Are there any circumstances that you can think of when it should be permitted? Yes. So per natural law, it's never okay because most religions find it sinful to stop the action of procreating, whether that be through contraceptives, abortions, or sterilization procedures. Teleology would say it depends on the situation, whether the person is a benefit to society or not. But the difficulties that come with virtue ethics are through autonomy and distributive justice. We realize that autonomy would be completely broken in this case and that each individual does have a positive right to procreation, at least in America. However, it is never illegal for a health professional to simply educate. It would be a violation of autonomy if the person is not given the choice. So that said, a proposal for how to move forward with this in the future is to educate the individual as much as possible and explain the pros and cons of sterilization or birth control was utilized, but doing so in a professional and unbiased manner. Would it be illegal to pay people, whether poor, mentally, or physically handicapped, or simply found unfit to have children to become sterilized as to not procreate? This may seem pretty crazy, like if you first hear me say that, but whether it may be a good idea or not, in our, in our society, it would not be legal because it would be considered financial coercion. If a health professional here in the U.S. advocated for sterilization and offered money to do it, it is illegal. In China, however, when a one-child policy was legal, abortions and sterilizations were strongly enforced. That is no longer the case anymore because it was highly controversial, as you could imagine. Interestingly enough, it made their economy and fertility rate suffer. The United States has also been found to have forced sterilization, like Madison said, on Puerto Rican women, African Americans, and Native Americans. 
Now, health professionals need to work to gain back the trust from our nation's underserved populations. I don't know about you, but I'd still be really nervous if I was a woman from one of these minorities going to see the gynecologist just for a yearly checkup, fearful they would sterilize me or put me on a medication that acted in the same manner so as not to continue bad lineage. Thank you, Molly, for bringing all that up. Those are some great points that people can think about, especially here in the U.S. and especially if they are part of a minority. Um, Thank goodness that there are now laws protecting women's reproductive rights. No one should ever have to go through this again and should never have to fear um, of their body being altered without their consent. Thinking ethically, an individual has the right to make decisions about their own body. If one does not have this privilege, then their autonomy is 100% being violated. Those are some really good thoughts, Maddie. I'm really glad that you brought up autonomy because I think that's definitely one of like the forefront important things about each person having the right to choose their health care and their body and so many other things. Um, We all wanted to touch a little bit on a miscellaneous sort of section of controversial topics. Um, The first one being organ transplants. So we all know that organ donations can be a beautiful thing and save so many different lives, but there are a few things that can be a bit controversial about the topic as well. I have two questions that I wanna ask about in regard to organ donations. The first one is, do you all think that there is a situation in which being paid for your organs is ethical? Okay, so Julia, thank you so much for asking this question because I think it is a great conversation starter and a great thing to think about, especially when regarding ethical healthcare. Um, I know that many people have various different views on this, but for now, I'll just touch on what I personally think about the topic. So I don't think that in any way being paid for your organs is ethical. Though it can be considered a donation, it is just too similar to the idea of selling organs on the black market to me, um, which does not sit well with me, that whole idea. Um, Organ matching should be fair for everyone involved. I believe that not one person should be more eligible for an organ over someone else. This is why buying and selling organs is illegal and the organ um, procedure and transplant network exists to maintain national organ matching. So if someone were to get paid to donate their organs, it would definitely violate justice and it actually would be considered financial coercion. Yeah, you're right, Maddie. I definitely feel like there's a reason why these organ transplant lists are put into place. And I feel like selling your organs kind of just violates that whole order of organ donation. Um, The other topic about organ donation that I wanted to touch on was how Steve Jobs managed to get his liver transplant so quickly. Does anyone want to share what we learned about this in class? Sure. So basically, since Steve Jobs has a much larger amount of resources than the average person, he was able to cheat the system legally in acquiring an organ donation. Since each state has a donor list, he applied himself on more than one state where he had to confirm with the residency. So he then bought a condo or house there. To add to this, he also made sure his helicopter was with him. So anywhere the organ became available, he would get there within the slim time frame after harvest. 
Right. So when we learned about this, I was shocked. I was surprised that I hadn't heard about this story sooner, but it really stuck with me for a couple of days because I felt upset about how Jobs was able to be on multiple states donors list simply as a result of his financial freedoms. I felt like he had a really great advantage over so many other people just because of how much money he had. And the fact that he was able to buy a house or a condo and have a helicopter waiting for him and things like that. What do you guys think about this? Do you think that it's ethical? Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Julia. But I do think that it's a perfect case where it's technically legal, but not necessarily ethical. He also had cancer, which put him at a lower end to get a donation. Young people who need an organ are usually at the highest for a donation because they're technically said to have the most potential. As you age, you may not be able to get the most out of your organ. These are difficult calculations, but they're details that need to be accounted for to be sure the best candidate for the organ is chosen. Steve Jobs could have done it the illegal, but maybe more ethical way by paying someone upwards of a million dollars to get the kidney he needed. One person can live with only one kidney and maybe they needed the million dollars more. Jobs simply saw the loopholes he had, and he took the selfish way using ethical egoism. Yeah, I actually agree with both of you guys on this, too. I think this is a great example between what is legal and what is ethical, and there will always be controversy on these two things between, like, is this legal or, like, is it ethical and legal, like, and so on, and because even though something might be legal, but it's not always ethical. In the case of Steve Jobs, being able to be on multiple donor lists just because of how much money he has is not ethical. Many people are on a donor list for years without getting the organ they need to survive. And in my opinion, I just don't think it's fair that because one person makes more money than another, they would receive an advantage and be on multiple donor lists. But at the end of the day, Steve Jobs did make this best decision for himself that he thought would help him survive without thinking of the disadvantages he was putting other people at. So now that we have talked about a couple of different controversial issues in healthcare, we wanted to sort of talk about a hypothetical um, scenario as if we were all members of a healthcare ethics committee. So the scenario that we have come up with is the situation where there is a woman who is 20 weeks pregnant and she did some genetic testing and she found out that the likelihood that her unborn baby would have ALS was very slim. But then at like an ultrasound type of thing, she realized that um, the baby looked like it was basically a 100% chance that it would have ALS. So she was having a hard time Um, She kind of felt like maybe she didn't want to carry the child to term because she knew that it wouldn't live after, but so many years after being born, um, and she sort of wanted to consider um, having an abortion, but she was past that 20-week mark where she couldn't technically legally have an abortion, but she could potentially get um, her physician's approval. So with all of this knowledge that we have, does anyone have any comments or opinions about how to maybe approach this as a healthcare ethics committee? 
Sure. So I am Molly Ringwald again, for those that don't know. And I do also just want to like briefly say that this is a little bit more unscripted and informal, and we don't really know exactly how we're each going to feel about this. So we just need to respect our decisions and come to the best conclusion for everyone involved. So my opinion of it is that even though it is a pretty sticky situation, um, anytime that you're looking at abortion and especially like at the time that she is, but in this case, the baby, the fetus would be born viable, but just the quality of life afterwards for the baby and for the mother and the family members and everyone else involved, I just don't think that would, that would meet the standards at all. So in this case, if I was the physician, I would perform the abortion. Um, I would respect the patient's autonomy and her reasoning for wanting the abortion. What do yeah. you all think? I totally agree with you that even though there is a lot that goes into the situation, um, and you do need to really step back as a physician and think of the woman's wants and the child's needs and how they're going to live, that autonomy really does need to be respected in this situation. Um, I know that there are a little, a few like legal issues that come into play, but with ALS, the nerve cells do break down, which means that the functionality in the muscles is not going to be as much as anyone else, which can really cut down the lifespan of this child. Mm -hmm. So I think just the overall life of the child is, needs to be respected in this case. So I think ultimately the mother's decision should be most respected in this situation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I totally agree with that, especially because with the ALS, you only live like a few years after you are diagnosed with it and the baby wouldn't be able to like learn how to walk and like all that stuff. So it would be very hard and on the mother too, especially having like a newborn and you want to be able to like give everything to the child that you possibly can. And when you're in that type of situation, like you're not able to do that. So I think to like even respect like the child and like quality of, quality of life to like perform that abortion to like keep, like I guess the mother's like morality like high and not like put her through all of that and the child too, because I just personally, I don't think it's fair to either of them. And if that's like what she wants, then I feel like that would probably be best. And I think another thing you can think about too is like we said, like quality of life for the baby, but like in another way, like the quality of life for the mom and like, is she going to be able to be the best mom she can for a couple years or like considering her mental health. And even if she is financially stable enough to do what she can for the baby and provide medically is it really what's going to be best for her as well and can she be the mom that she wanted to be knowing that what lies ahead sort of exactly yeah I think that I really would just want to piggyback off of that and just say that I think that in this case it's better to prevent the chance of life from occurring rather than wait until the baby or the child like becomes five years old and then he dies like a sad death and just yeah. that falls upon the family the mother um and even himself and 
So yeah, I think that that is the best case scenario here. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine like as a mother trying to deal with that. So it's just one of those decisions you have to either make and it's going to be hard either way, whether you do it before or after, but I feel like it'd be so difficult to see your child struggle knowing you could have prevented something or helped them in some way. And like Julia said, even if they are financially stable, but some people aren't financially stable enough to take care of a child um, with this disease. So that could even hinder the child even more. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And then maybe, you know, she can try again and the next baby will be a rainbow baby and have both the souls. So that would be amazing. (laughs) Also, definitely really hard for the mother to even make that decision in the first place. So you would want the physician or whoever who is like her caregiver to like make her feel as comfortable as she can to like make that best decision for herself instead of like making her feel worse about the situation when she probably already feels terrible. Yeah. Definitely to like just make her feel comfortable and safe in that environment. I guess the scenario would be like sort of arguing like right now it's like the mother is the patient, but then also you know, her doctor's looking out for the health of her the baby too. So I guess somewhere where people might differ on opinions would be possibly like who's the patient here? Like is mm-hmm. the baby that has you know, life ahead of them, regardless of how it turns out the the patient here, or is it this mom that's an adult, you know, so that's another scenario that um, people would probably have different opinions and considerations about too. Definitely. I think that we have a really like caring and compassionate HEC here for sure. (laughs) That can all relate to the women. (laughs) Right, for sure. Okay, well, thanks for doing this little scenario with us. It's fun to think about how we would all feel in different scenarios. And obviously, um, you know, different ethics committees are typically made up of all sorts of different people and different specialties and with, you know, different opinions, different ages. They've all seen different research. So they can be pretty diverse, which I think we would probably all agree is a good thing as far as coming to the best opinion and you know, devil's advocate and thinking about all the sides, but it's fun to think about a little scenario. So I'm glad we could pop this in there with y'all and stay tuned for our next episode. Wow, y'all, this has been a super great conversation today and it's been so much fun talking about ethics and healthcare with you all. I love talking about the controversial topics just because I love to see what other people think and how we can apply it to ethics. Um, And these topics can be really tricky. And so I'm really glad that we have been able to honestly share our thoughts. Um, To our listeners, don't forget that you always have the right to speak with your primary care provider about what you feel comfortable with. And you should always ask questions. If you think you wanna ask a question, then just ask it because it's your right as the patient. Um, So you definitely have a say in your care as a patient. I have had so much fun and I can't wait for next week's episode. Stay tuned to see what next week's Health Junkies episode entails. Bye. 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 That's cute.